0: Hello, this is Editing Fell here. I just want to let you know that there are some funky things going on with Henny's audio at various points. However, it's not consistent throughout the entire episode and they do resolve themselves. So, without further ado, let's get into
1: it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Test Tubes and Cauldrons, a podcast where we talk about the science behind spirituality. I'm Astra. I'm Phil. And I'm Honey. And this week, we are going to be talking about past lives. But before we get into that, as usual, we're going to do our What Happened on This Day. It is currently April 4th. On today, April 4th, it marked the birth of Indian-American biochemist Ananda Chakrabarty, who patented the first genetically engineered life form, which he created while working on the research and development staff of General Electric. The new single-cell life form was the Pseudomonas bacterium, now called Burkholderia capachia, which had the potential to clean up toxic spills because of its ability to break down crude oil into simpler substances that could even become food for aquatic life. This ability is possessed by no naturally occurring bacteria, and his original patent application was rejected. But eventually, by appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court on 16th, June 16, 16th, 1980, it was decided that new forms of life could be patented if they are the outcome of human ingenuity. That is fascinating, especially given the fact that, like, in modern day, getting rid of toxic chemicals and like, water and other areas is such a huge feat that people are trying to achieve using natural life forms like bacteria. I was reading a paper the other day about some bacterium. I can't remember the name of it because it's so outside my field. And they were using it to remove, like, microplastics from the environment, which is really cool. But, okay, anyway, none of that has anything to do with this episode, so... <laughs> Like I said earlier, we're going to be talking about past lives. So I guess we're just going to get into it. But let's talk about past lives. What does that mean to you?
0: I guess to me, past lives refer to the concept and reincarnation of, you know, the, the life that came before this one. Whatever that means, whether that's plant, animal, or human, debates are up for that. But to me, that's that's just simply what past life means.
2: I would say I have a somewhat, or had before reciting. this researching this episode, has had a somewhat negative association with the term because I often associate it with new age practitioners who maybe don't have like a very solid grasp on the sort of theory where reincarnation came from. And it's often to do with kind of ideas about your fate in this life tied to your deeds in the last life. And it's often taken very literally. So you're, you often are assumed to have very intense knowledge of your role, and it's always a human, your, your role as a human in the, the past life. So I guess I've, I've always had a slightly negative perception of it for that reason, although that might be a bit unfair.
1: I also have a relatively negative association with past lives. Anytime somebody talks about past life aggression, I'm just like, oh God, here we go. If you believe in reincarnation, then past lives are certainly a thing. We'll get into that and like all the different models kind of behind that in a second here. And I don't think there's any there's any problem with it. I think that's a very like realistic and normal kind of thing to believe in and or have an idea of. I think what I take issue with, especially with past lives specifically, is this idea of past life regression where you go back and you try and figure out, like, who you were in this previous life in order to get insight of your current life. I think that's where my issue really stems from is because it's not just a matter of, like, yes, you lived a previous life. If we're taking on, like, a reincarnation kind of framework. But then trying to figure out, like, what it was when really that doesn't really have any importance to your current life. It's like, why does it matter and why do you care? And in many ways, I think it can actually cause people to... Neglect, I think, the purpose that they, you know, serve in their current life because they're too focused on the past things that are over and done with. But we'll get into the whole debate later. <laughs> we have a whole section about it. So let's maybe talk about a few models of the afterlife. We've already kind of touched on reincarnation. So do we want to go more in depth about that?
2: So it's it's obviously reincarnation is when a soul is uh, sort of birthed or recycled into another body. Doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a human body, and it, it depends. On the tradition as to what the sort of rules around being reincarnated are so some examples include buddhism and hinduism so these include cycles of samsara meaning sort of the suffering of uh, of going through these cycles of birth and rebirth and i'm, I'm painting painting Quite diverse traditions with very broad strokes so kind of forgive me here for there's probably a lot of nuance that i'm not illustrating but yeah basically in buddhism at least ultimately the goal in some ways would be to attain enlightenment which would allow you to escape those cycles of reincarnation and sort of escape the the cycle of suffering and i think sikhism is kind of similar in that except the it's slightly different It's the idea that it's unity with god that would allow you escape from those cycles But there are also um, some ancient examples of reincarnation as well. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about that.
0: So a lot of people don't, know this, but there was actually concepts of reincarnation, more commonly called metempsychosis, which means transmigration of the soul found in ancient Greek philosophy and also in the later Hellenistic mystery cults. So metempsychosis, the earliest example I can find is with Pythagoras. And I'm going to talk a little bit more later on when we talk about famous cases of people remembering their past lives, because Pythagoras did claim to be able to remember his past lives some of them are pretty funny (laughs) so strap in and get ready for those later on like the the mystery cults like the chaldeans and like a lot of the the people who practiced various magic in the pgm believed in sort of what henny was saying that it was less like this reincarnation and more of the unity with the divine will stop you from reincarnating i believe the orphics also had although orphics is like a very broad term and like scholarly debate etc aside this we could I guess do an episode on the Orphics but anyway they're wild and confusing but generally the people who identified as Orphics or who were identified as Orphics believed that by going through these mystery rites you would stop reincarnating now this was not the most common belief in ancient Greece but it was a belief at the time often people think of as being linked to the crossover and the intersection between the Hindus of the ancient world interacting with the ancient Greeks of that time.
2: Would you say that there was a big difference between kind of folk religion and cults or um, even sort of more aristocratic classes in this in this case? like is there a kind of big difference in hmm. belief in um, what the afterlife holds?
0: I think so. There is some accounts. Now, granted, they're all like by Plato. So his accounts are not necessarily able to be taken as like historical fact. But there are some accounts of like normal quote unquote people, your average person recounting past lives it was actually kind of common for people to say that they were so-and-so reborn The the idea of the soul in the ancient greek world is pretty weird in like the homeric age you would like three the tripart soul i think and it gets confusing where some things could be construed as reincarnation but it's also saying that you're so-and-so reborn could just mean that you're an incarnate version of a hero which is not necessarily the same thing as reincarnation because heroes are divine while well, they're they're divine and mortal. So it gets a little more complicated once you look in in the folk religion, but definitely in the like Attic and Homeric age, reincarnation was not the dominant model.
1: But let's maybe talk about that a little bit more. This idea of being reincarnated as like a hero or some someone that has, you know, obtained divinity. This is something that I think is an interesting thought because even in like and. I'm going to preface this by saying that I am not a native practitioner, and I know shamanism is a very broad topic. And so I don't, you know, I'm not trying to speak for everything. But generally speaking, like in shamanism, once you kind of become divine, Right, then this idea of being reincarnated as somebody who is divine, it's like not actually possible, right? Because they have already passed on and like become one with divinity. And so they're no longer within that cycle of reincarnation. So, where do you think the idea of reincarnating as somebody who was, who is maybe seen as a god or a hero or has this element of divinity given to them by whatever circumstance? came from
2: it's a really interesting question i'm hoping phil has a good answer to this
1: (laughs) like it's fairly
0: common to see people claim to be like is which is ajax or to be hermes or to be apollo it's it's more in kind of like the I, i don't want to say like the biblical model of like god made flesh but it's kind of like that where the god has come down and this person is like an avatar of this deity who has come to do whatever oftentimes it's seen in like royalty like a lot of the Hellenistic Age rulers claim to be reborn. I believe one of the Ptolemies, Ptolemy the Twelfth, I think, claimed to be Dionysus, reborn. And a lot of it was to gain credence with their cause, you know, the Ptolemies are are not Egyptian. <laughs> so kind of gain credence and also kind of like follow that Egyptian idea of the pharaoh being being divine. So I think that's kind of where some of these ideas come from.
1: Hermes Trismegistus, right, is somebody right. that people attributed to being kind of the reincarnation of Hermes or Thoth, whichever you know deity you want to, to attribute to him. That's what gave a lot of his writings credence in terms of like Hermeticism and the Hermetica and the canonical writings, where it was the fact that he was this like reincarnated person of like Mercury or Hermes or Thoth, whichever one you want to go with even though there's significant debate about who he was and whether he was even a real person and all of that that i won't get into
0: yeah so i think that that's the main difference is it's more of the deity coming through a person as opposed to like actually being an individual made flesh and it's often used to gain credence in something whether that's military or political power
1: maybe i'll just claim that i'm albert einstein reincarnate (laughs) (laughs) The papers will be accepted with no comments
2: so the other model of reincarnation or not reincarnation is um the plane of existence model and so this is different to the reincarnation model and it's one that you might be a little bit more familiar with if you're in the west and this is the idea that when you die your soul uh, passes on to a new plane of existence so that might be heaven or hell ancient greek religion as we mentioned was kind of a bit of a split between this idea of reincarnation in certain areas but there were also ideas of Another plane like the Elysian Fields for heroes, for example. Um, And also in Norse religion, there are things like um, Valhalla. Um, These tend to be governed by your deeds on Earth. I thought this was interesting because as far as I'm aware, and maybe you can expand on this further, the idea of hell in the Bible isn't actually backed up, at least in the original text. Is that correct?
0: That is correct. So hell mentioned a grand total of zero times (laughs) in the Greek New Testament which is, for the most part, the the New Testament that we use. So what is often translated to hell is usually one of three things. One of them is sh- Sheol. Sheol? I'm not entirely sure if I'm pronouncing that correct, correctly. Sheol. Sheol. Sheol, mm-hmm. which is kind of this Jewish concept of an afterlife. Then there is Gehenna, which refers to the Valley of Hinnom. And then there is Tartarus or Hades that are... Naturally used uh, in the Greek version. What I think is fascinating about Gehenna, specifically the Valley of Hinnom, was actually a—it was a garbage dump that was outside of Jerusalem. It's where people burned their garbage, and there was always kind of this fire burning there because they were tossed there. Basically, used as a metaphor for a place of punishment. But from my understanding, shale is more of a nothingness than it is what we think of as hell because in the original concept of hell as it's laid out in the new testament is separation from god and it's not necessarily this idea of being tortured it's just literally nothingness apartness this idea of of not being with god Uh, and then hades and tartarus are naturally the, the greek underworld which at that time we're going through like many different iterations. Hades is a really complicated thing to try to uh, dissect there, but there are the idea of like the Elysian fields where people who lived quote unquote better lives were tend to go. Then there's Tartarus itself, which is kind of it. My understanding Tartarus was usually reserved not for people, but for Gods or entities who had done bad things. Basically, comparing this nothingness and what it's like to be apart from God, then it is saying that you're going to be tortured forever. And the idea of hell that we have now actually tends to come from Dante's Inferno, which a lot of people don't know. I was just about to bring yeah. that up. <laughs> yeah, Dante really, really solidified this idea of hell, which I think is very funny because Dante's Inferno is just one gigantic commentary and also a bit of a self insert fanfic. he's just like and then I met so-and-so and (laughs) And they told me I was awesome and then I met so-and-so and and I kicked their ass (laughs) so yeah Dante is really where we get these concepts of hell from
1: yeah absolutely I'm so glad you wrap it up because that was going to be my addition to that combo
0: Astra as someone who is a ceremonial practitioner who engages in Christian mysticism how do you see like hell come up or differing views of hell because the idea of hell is is not endemic to the bible
1: yeah it's funny actually because like so i've heard it said and i don't believe this but that when you conjure up like the 72 goetic demons of the key of solomon i've heard people say that like you're conjuring up demons from hell which is hilarious to me because if you actually talk to the spirits they're all like no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's not how this is working and it's interesting because to me like there's a there's a hierarchy in terms of kind of the celestial kingdom and it's not a matter of like any beings being below or in this like hell it's just like they're at the lowest on like lowest on the totem pole and so when people you know I'll be totally honest with you, I haven't fully put together like what I think will happen to us after death. But I don't think that just because you don't believe in God, you're being sent to this like fiery pit of torture, especially because like goes against like if you actually take the time to read the Bible, and learn about who God is, like who he really is, I think people will be surprised that he's not some like awful person who wants to like humanity to fail and then tortured him for all eternity. Like, that has not been my experience with God. I don't think that exists. I do think it was a invention, and it's heavily inspired by Dante's Inferno. Yeah, it's it's something that I don't believe in whatsoever, and if you talk to, like, any kind of and um, that you conjure up from wherever, they certainly never speak about anything like that, which is just funny to me, so...
0: I remember getting into a massive argument with a an apologist, a Christian apologist, and like he was a smart dude. Like he had a doctor and everything, and I was just like, "Explain to me how so Jesus is Jewish. He doesn't. He would not believe in hell. Does that mean that hell just appeared out of nowhere?" I remember like trying to get him to explain this to me. I was just like, "So Jesus wouldn't have believed in hell, (laughs) like this modern idea of hell?" And I was like, "So how does that work?" Explain to me, please. Did did that, did they like create it in like 0 AD or, or 33 AD? And they were just like, yep, hell now exists. <laughs> like, you know, that would imply that God created hell. Yeah. So that was something that really messed with my head.
1: <laughs> so we touched on past lives and past life regression a little bit earlier, but let's go ahead and kind of go back and revisit it. And we brought up a couple of different religions through our previous discussion. So do the religions that we've already talked about, referred to past lives being remembered, specifically being remembered, not just existing, but actually being, have memory of?
0: Uh yes. There is actually a lot of concepts amongst the philosophers who believed in metempsychosis, which I will say is actually quite a, a number of them, especially those of the Platonic school or the Pythagorean school, and a lot of them uh, uh, recount remembering past lives as Uh, evidence for its existence. One of my favorite examples of remembering past lives is actually Pythagoras. So Pythagoras, people actually claim to be Apollo. He claimed that he was Apollo reborn. And my favorite thing about it is there's a story of him. He's like sitting around a fire or whatever. He's telling everyone how he's Apollo reborn. And he's pulls back his the the cloth and shows his thigh and it's a golden thigh and he's like see how else would i have this golden thigh if i wasn't a follow report so that was one of his my here this is not that's not my favorite believe it or not my favorite <laughs> past life because he, he actually said that he yeah his final incarnation was a fisherman from delos which i think is just wonderful but this is my favorite re- account of his past lives, because he claimed to remember a lot of past lives, including fighting in the Trojan War. He claimed he remembered fighting there. Uh, he also claimed to be another philosopher at another point. But my favorite, it says, one of his past lives, as reported by uh, Dysercius, was as a beautiful courtesan. My favorite is that he remembered specifically being a beautiful courtesan. Wow. So, yeah.
1: Good for him. <laughs> Shout out to <for> the rooftops. <laughs>
0: get a lot of accounts also amongst the orphics of them claiming to be people who have been reborn you see it a lot amongst the pythagoreans as well of them it's very funny they got into arguments about who was actually who some there was like two people who claimed to be reborn as the same person they got into an argument over who was actually the person reincarnated and believe it or not some of that some of that tiktok like drama was happening I so maybe we should
1: bring that back so we can determine who the real reincarnation of <laughs> Cleopatra is.
0: Maybe we're all reincarnations of Pythagoras or Swedenborg. Yeah,
2: my understanding is that other religions which have reincarnation don't usually have people remembering the reincarnation. That's not always the case, but a lot of the time it's basically assumed that if you were to remember your past life, you would become too attached to it. And so that would be a kind of that would be a negative thing. And if you want to escape samsara, then you have to not want to escape that cycle, as I understand it. So it's it's kind of a whole, a bit of a paradox in that becoming too attached to the idea of reincarnation, actually, it affects your ability to reincarnate.
0: Well, what I think is interesting about most cultures that have reincarnation beliefs, not, I'm, I'm not going to blank it and say most, but a lot of them, the goal is not to continue reincarnating. The goal is to actually stop reincarnating. The Pythagoreans have that. The Orphics have that. The Chaldeans had that. So I think that that's something I think that a lot of people forget when discussing like modern ideas, like their own personal beliefs about reincarnation is that in a lot of cultures, the idea was to stop (laughs) reincarnating. I would say in terms of historical past life regression, this one's like 1920s. So like not as historical as I usually go. But this was the case of Shanti Devi, who was a- an Indian woman who claimed to be able to remember her previous life. She's a pretty wild story. So basically, as a little girl, I think age six, she claimed to be this woman from this village in Mathura and that that was where her husband was and she needed to speak to him. And her parents actually like discouraged this, but she ran away from home at age six to go see her husband and she went up to this man and she was like you didn't keep your promise on my deathbed which first of all being told that by a six-year-old would that would that would mess me up yo (laughs) i would be like oh no and actually his wife had died six years prior and that girl was six years old and she was able to like remember all of these now granted given the time period that this came from i think it's pretty safe to say it it's would be really hard to find any sort of proof one way or against this given that you know it the records are could be scarce and folklore travels fast but actually Gandhi got involved in this case to see if there was a way to essentially like validate because there are there are certain cases in India where very specific uh, or really prominent examples of reincarnation are often I don't want to say sought to be proven but sought to be validated as real examples of reincarnation the commission that gandhi had set up did find or, or to their satisfaction that she was a successful or not successful she was a a valid a true case of reincarnation so that's just one example from hinduism
1: interesting so what about like occult specific traditions do we are there any that focus really heavily on past lives and past life regression i mean the most obvious one is new age <laughs> Let's just get it out there. Hear about past lives and past life regression. I mean, those those like those services being offered and people going and having like their past life regression and then coming out thinking that there's some famous person from the past all the time. But are there any others that you can think of?
2: I think a lot of the kind of newer traditions that focus on past lives are often those which have been filtered through Theosophy. So this is probably because Helena Blavatsky went over to um, visit all over basically Southeast Asia. And adopted all of these kind of Hindu doctrines and um, some Buddhist doctrines and uh, decided to reassemble that into her own new theory of rebirth, which then later evolved into spiritualism. So that's probably where the idea of a kind of past life being an exciting thing that you can learn something from came from. In terms of actual, this sort of, I guess, more authentic. If, if, if I can call it that, past lives and things like that. Um, I would say that transcendental meditation and the Tibetan Book of the Dead are all quite concerned with the process of reincarnating. Maybe not so much on past lives and progressing into your past life, but more what happens at that point where you die and your soul is then being passed on to the kind of
0: through the next cycle. Past life regression, as it's used in the New Age movement, is almost as a form of therapy. Someone who has like a fear of cars, but they've never been in a car accident. Someone who, I don't know, is a past life regression No, that's not right. Past life regression practitioner. I don't know what they call themselves. But they would say that that could be an example of a past life uh, trauma. Maybe your past life died in a car accident. So the way is to regress into this memory, often pulling from techniques from our favorite people like Freud and Jung <laughs> and Mesmer to bring back or bring forth these memories, and then be able to to work through them. And it's this idea that once a life is seen, that then you're able to work through it and not have it affect your current life.
2: Yeah, that was really interesting, actually. When I was researching past lives, I was like putting it to Google, and one of the first recommended results was past life regression therapy near me. There are actually quite a lot of them. Um, But I thought it was interesting that a lot of these services are associated with hypnosis. And obviously, that is a, I guess we could do a whole episode on this, but it it is a somewhat newer thing. And we can also maybe discuss the merit of hypnosis as a method to remember things from your past, because it has some um, kind of caveats when we're trying to investigate how valid we think these past life regressions are.
1: Well, if we just talk about that, let's talk about how accurate and like valid, I suppose, you think these past life regressions are either because of the methodology used or the idea itself, or maybe what the experiences people have related and how accurate they seem to be in accordance with like historical basis. What do you think? I mean, so...
0: Since I once was very new age, I was also very, very into past life regression. I actually surprisingly found, like, I I used to, like, lead little sessions (laughs) with my friends. And one of them was, like, actually very scarily accurate. However, and, and the person I did it on was actually an atheist. And she was even spooked by the the accuracy of it but again like as i've said multiple times on this podcast like i believe in strange occurrences but i don't necessarily believe that they're repeatable there are people who go to certain battlefields and claim to feel visceral memories of something happen happening and like i i am someone who does believe in past lives but i don't necessarily think that they're able to be like actively actively recalled that doesn't really quite make sense to me i think perhaps a case of someone going battlefield and feeling a strong memory i don't know perhaps it's like a moment of woo where like there is like this intersection again that that ripple effect that i talk about of like you're running parallel and just that that sort of just little tap almost but then it's like not felt anywhere else but i don't think you're necessarily able to like expound upon that i don't think necessarily you're able to really find out everything because I, th- I think mm, in more cases than not a lot of these they fall apart the deeper you go in many ways like i think perhaps you might have an inkling that you were a soldier in a battlefield but i don't think except for very rare cases i don't think you're ever going to find out like who that person was if that makes sense
2: yeah, I think we can talk about some of the famous cases um, yes. and review a few of those soon. But um something that I noticed is that because a lot of these things occur under hypnosis, right? And it's quite controversial as to what how well hypnosis works for memory retrieval. And so there there are kind of reasons for this are twofold. One of them is because some people seem to be a lot more susceptible to hypnosis than others for reasons that we don't really understand. The second one is that Hypnosis doesn't seem to make people recall memories much better, apart from in small cases like traumatic memories, for example. It does seem to make them more confident in inaccurate memories. So that's a problem because somebody might come out of an experience, a hypnotic experience, where, you know, they've recounted all these things, which maybe they've drawn from various different sources, they might come out really, really confident in these things. And that allows them to kind of to pattern those memories and sort of embellish them further. And you can kind of see how there's this snowball effect with a lot of these where it's first of all, it's little details and then they turn into really wild stories.
1: Similar to things that I've also said in the past, I think that a lot of it is just your brain being really good at piecing together stories from things that you're really interested in. It takes, I mean, it like, as kids, we're all fascinated with different topics. And so your brain, especially if you're going into a situation, you like know that the goal is to determine like a past life, you're kind of inevitably your brain is going to attach to that which you know and you're most familiar with. And so that can lead to the piecing together of a specific story that makes it look like a past life, even if it's really not. And it's just the creation of a story to like fulfill a desire. I think that part of the brain, that just like how good it is at creating kind of this false memory is something that isn't considered a lot when it comes to past life regression. And kind of like you said, Hanny, that's a good point that you brought up about hypnosis, how it actually often leads to inaccurate memories seemingly becoming more accurate. And in a way, I almost think that's the case because like, if you were to have a past life regression reading, and your brain concocts a story based on your own interests, and then maybe even some experiences in your past, when you come out of it, like, like you're going to be thinking a lot about that that past life and like what it meant for you and the things that you did especially if it's being used in things like therapy it becomes brought up again and again and again until it is solidified as something legitimate that actually happened when it could really just be a figment of your brain being weird with chemicals like it's not something that I think has a lot of merit to it personally speaking although I also like kind of agree with Fel on the other side where I do think there's a level of like you might have, like, an inkling where you're just like, I feel like this is, like, really familiar and I don't know why. I think those kind of things do happen. But in terms of, like, the detailed stories that people create about their past lives, I don't think that that's usually true. It's usually just a piecing together a bunch of things, I think, from our brains. That's what I think.
0: I also feel like people are always <laughs> – like, why are people always princesses and like emperors.
1: Or, yeah, like Anastasia or like, work.
0: <laughs> why are they always that and not like? Is it, is, I saw this one post that someone was like, yeah, why are people always like princesses? Like, the vast majority of us would be a peasant who died falling in a lake because he was drunk. Like, that's probably the vast majority of us. So, why are people always like, I remember being a princess. And I also think it's interesting because, I mean, I think part of that is because it's easy, easily, I don't want to say t- it's easier to prove, but it's easier to kind of fit those stories to the story that you're imagining because it's it's readily accessible information but I think the vast majority of us would be like peasants or I don't know fish or something
2: <laughs> this is my redemption arc I was killed by cholera and I get to come back as a microbiologist <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes that's a really good point there because I do think like It's it's funny how often you hear people, especially in like the witchcraft community, they have a past life regression reading and almost always it's like I was a witch from the Salem witch trials or the witch trials back in Europe, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like not all of us can can do that. You know what I mean? Like you were saying, most of us are probably just people like living on the streets trying to survive. Like uh, this idea that everybody's past life is some amazing thing. I think just kind of perpetuates this idea of like your brain creating a story that you want to believe instead of probably a realistic version of that. Just is much
0: more sad. Every so often in the like Hellenic polytheist community, we get people who claim to be the Pythia, which were the uh, Delphic oracles. And it's so funny too. They are always so wrong about the things <laughs> that they remember. I'm like, no, that never happened. And they're like, I was a young woman. I was like, you're already wrong. They were all old. <laughs> um, also, they're like, and then this emperor destroyed us. I'm like, no, they didn't. That did not happen. Yeah, so people every often claim to be the Pythia or claim to be some sort of oracle, and they always get it wrong, which I find very funny.
2: And they also would have known as the Pythia, they would have known loads about Greek politics due to their social yeah. status, which kind of betrays the fact that in in their new life, they somehow don't know anything about how the yeah. government was structured.
0: Yeah.
1: So let's talk about maybe some cases of past life aggression that we read about, heard of, know from history.
2: We have a ton of these. This one made me laugh a lot. So, this was um, a lady called Virginia Teague, but she said that after several sessions of hypnosis, um, she was actually a woman called Brady Murphy. So she claimed that she was an Irish woman from the 19th century. Funniest bit for me was that she actually spoke with an Irish accent under hypnosis, which must have taken quite some, um, <laughs> some, conv- some conviction, I guess. I don't know how accurate the accent was. So this was um, a story that became very famous. And I think it even landed her a book at some point. And it turns out that when they investigated uh, uh, Bridie Murphy to see if that, um, she was a real person, they couldn't track, track Brady down. However, Virginia did seem to have a neighbour when she was around eight years old, who was called Brady Murphy Corkell, and she was Irish. So so it's thought that Virginia probably wasn't making it up, but she probably pulled these details of her neighbour together subconsciously, invented this character... And through repeated sessions of hypnosis, she was able to kind of confabulate and invent this story, which I thought was really interesting.
1: You love to see it. That's wild. I love that she's spoken in Irish that accent. That's like the best.
2: There are also some other ones which I thought interesting where there are some anonymous hypnosis sessions called the Blocks and Tapes, and they have a lot of different people on. Um, but when they were investigated, they couldn't find the people who were mentioned in, in re- real history, but they were found in fiction. So it seemed like these people had actually been reading books and although they probably didn't make these things up, they probably had like an actual, a real conviction that these things happened to them. They had just invented these things from stories. And this is one of my favourites, somebody called Dorothy Easy in the 1930s, 1920s, 1930s. She banged her head, woke up and immediately after the head injury, she decided that she was actually an ancient Egyptian. She was very, very, very convicted in this though. And I think it's probably something to do with the head injury in her case. Um, She eventually moved to Egypt in 1933. She married an Egyptian person. Although she became divorced eventually from this person, she stayed in Egypt, became a folklorist, a keeper of the Temple of Seti, and basically just completely immersed herself in Egyptian culture. Although she describes herself as a sort of killjoy of a high priest, and I don't think these are... This is likely to be accurate based on her behavior. It is really interesting how her conviction in this experience was so 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 strong.
1: I have a stupid question, possibly. Do either of you like know how hypnosis works? Like on a more biological level? Only one way to find out. (laughs) (laughs) That was so scary.
0: I'm not exactly sure, and I think there's a lot of debate about it. I,
1: yeah, I was so I was listening to Hany talk about these these stories of passive aggression. It made me wonder because like we know that the temporal lobes are both involved in sensory perception and also memory. And so I was wondering if maybe hypnosis has something to do or some kind of connection between that and it changes maybe in the activation or the state of a temporal lobe I'm guessing it's probably something more based on like pattern and pattern recognition like from memory that maybe drives that kind of activation that could then pull up like recessed memories maybe something like a book being read and a character from it that they then pull from to create some kind of story but I didn't know if anybody had looked into that potentially
2: no, I sadly didn't, but I think we should do an episode on hypnosis because I think it would be quite interesting.
1: Okay, sounds good. We'll we'll table it. We can do look like, at it later. I'm trying to read this
0: one thing from the NIH and it makes my head hurt. So I don't know what it means. Okay. We'll put the paper in yeah. the group chat and we'll look at it later. Patients can be taught self hypnosis. Well, we know what we gotta try. Are we gonna hyp like hypnotize ourselves? Yeah. Let's hypnotize each other. <laughs> 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 That'll go well. <laughs>
1: wait what do they say it does like how do you do it do they give a
0: method no they don't give an example
1: well that's stupid okay okay i'm gonna go
0: how to hypnotize yourself i know they teach self-hypnosis in addiction treatment as well it was like for a while the most common form of addiction treatment okay i don't care what it can help me do no please just tell me okay what for example, when watching TV or reading a book, your mind drifts off because you're not paying attention to what's going around you. For a few seconds, your conscious mind shuts off. You stop analyzing things and simply float away to a relaxing, peaceful place. That's hypnosis. I
1: don't think that's true. I don't think that's hypnosis. <laughs> At least not in the, the actual definition of it.
2: Are they telling me that my television hypnotizes me? Is that what they're saying? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, Hannah, you're being conditioned by your television because through are hyp- hypnosis, 100%. Conspiracy theory.
0: Okay. Oh, wait. Okay. How to hypnotize yourself using the pirate formula, which is an amazing. uh, P is for privacy. Uh, You mean peace and quiet. You have an induction stage, a change state, and then an exit stage. Okay. So privacy, intention, relaxation, actualization. So it's basically like visualization, essentially. T, transformation. E is for exit. Yeah, it just sounds honestly like what a lot of past life regression is where you go into a deep trance state. And then, like you let your mind wander. I don't think that's what like actual hypnosis is, but that's what like I don't know. That's
1: which which brings up another question then, right? Like if it's only trance state, and like what about the power of suggestion under trance state when people are like asking questions about it, and your brain is like, oh, I gotta come up with something, gotta answer the question that was proposed. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that's why when you look at some of these things, the questions that people ask are so leading
1: they're so leading and I'm like do you do that
0: like if you watch really bad like mediums and they like will ask each other questions one of them will be like are you a ghost did someone murder you and it's like that's a leading <laughs> question you can't ask that like, like what yeah that's that's one
2: thing so I didn't actually look up the kind of biology or the mechanism of hypnosis but I did look into how reliable it is and what some of the issues are And one thing that came up repeatedly was um, the fact that you're so much more suggestible under hypnosis. So it requires somebody who is really, really sort of unbiased, I guess. And even some of the studies I linked about um, hypnotic life regressions, they were definitely seeking specific things because they were aiming to actually rate the life regressions on a standardized scale. So they really needed to seek out certain facets. But the problem with that is that when someone's in a hypnotized state, they're going to respond to those questions in a much more um, sort of plastic way than somebody would normally. It's it's not really a very reliable research method.
1: Well and yeah also like when it comes to measuring things that way like what do you use as a control because when somebody's in a trance state versus a let's say state of hypnosis you're gonna like the way your brain works at least is what I think is different in both and so how do they get any kind of like controlled baseline as to like what they would expect when someone is in a hypnotic state versus and like before asking such probing questions?
2: As far as I can see from these studies, there was pretty much no control. It was things like, did you feel a sense of peace or fulfillment? Did you feel joy? Did you seem to be in contact with a being a, a being of mystical presence? Did you see the spirits, etc.? You know, it's it was these are very, very leading questions, I think, if you're if you're under hypnosis.
0: The faces Astra just made.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And of course, I mean, I can show you the graph if you like, but it's like the majority of people, as you would expect, are responding like, yes, I experienced this. Yes, I experienced this.
1: Of course they are, because they were so forward about it. Oh, God. So we're getting near the end of the time, but we can maybe, I think we were planning on breaking this episode up into two different ones because we had so much information, but we can go ahead and give you a little teaser, a little hint as to what our next episode will be about. It's going to be about near-death experiences. Now we've talked about this before, somewhat extensively on the podcast, I would argue, but when it comes to like past lives and past life regression, near-death experiences and also out-of-body experiences are all kind of very closely tied together. And so we thought we would dig a little bit deeper. Since we've already kind of been looking at cases of past life regression, like in real life that people have talked about, do we want to maybe t- like talk about a case of near-death experience that is really, I would think maybe relatively well-known. Like I remember this happening.
2: Yeah. So this is unfortunately another famous fake case. And and I'm not saying that all near-death experiences are fakes. Like we're going to cover it in the next episode, some which seem more plausible. This is a really, really famous case of a Christian child who he nearly died in an automobile accident, and he became quadriplegic as a result. And his name was Alex Malarkey. And do you guys remember this happening on the news? Because you, you you said you did, Astra. I didn't remember this.
0: I do. I mean, this book was all... I mean, I was very Christian at the time, but this book was everywhere.
1: And it was it was everywhere. used as such like a... Like, yes, this is real because this kid, like, died of the heaven and came back. I mean, it was, it was everywhere. I remember my church was, like, going crazy.
0: Mm-hmm, was just, like, mine oh, too. Oh, my
1: God.
2: Uh, Americans are wild. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not remember this book, but I will introduce it for those who are not, are not familiar with it. So, basically, he was six years old. he just come out of this car accident, and he, was, he had lost the use of his arms and legs very, very ill. And he began telling people about visiting heaven and meeting Jesus and Satan. And so eventually this led to this book that um, was co-authored by uh, his father, Kevin, that Ferdinand Astra mentioned, and it's called The Boy Who Came Back From Heaven. However, the story doesn't end there. Five years later, he published a blog post recanting the entire story, saying that he did it for attention. What I found interesting was that when you actually read his sort of confession post, if you like, it seems very motivated by his religion. So you can tell that he's still Christian. And he says in his blog post, the Bible is the only source of truth. Anything written by man cannot be infallible. I want the whole world to know that the Bible is sufficient. So it's almost like he's saying, I faked this. And it's important that you know this because believing me would be a sin. Am, am I reading this right? I,
1: I don't know. It's interesting to me that the one of the things he talks about is that the Bible is like sufficient and the only thing you need like blah 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 if i were to die and go to heaven and then come back the bible being the true living breathing word of god would be like the last thing i wanted to talk about i'd be here talking about the angels and shit that i got to meet and talk to and like how like what is god like what was Satan like if you know satan exists in that form i just think it's weird that like that was a focus of the discussion and also it's interesting because a lot of the things he talks about in that book are theologically kind of heavy and I don't know that that's something that a a child would be concerned about after having such an experience or b be able to relate in such kind of an eloquent way and that brings us to the discussion of like what because didn't the kids sued later sued the uh company that published the book, right?
2: Yeah, he did. So he said that um, it was quite exploitative. I don't know, I I think his dad was quite involved as well. And I think his dad was also quite involved in this exploitation.
1: I remember reading the book and the way that the book was written, it was something that I felt like, and of course, you know, the child being as young as he was probably didn't do it by himself. And like, I get that. But I do think that the story was heavily embellished probably by his father or his parents in many ways to, to kind of prove that like all of this is real and true. And um, obviously the confession just like makes it worse. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's hard. It's always hard when people like recant things as like fake. A specific example comes to mind is Doreen Virtue, right, where she overca- recanted everything because she said everything. is fake. I, th- I think it's hard when things are like that because it's like how much of it is them actually believing that whatever it was is fake, and how much of it is them just clinging to this very intense faith that's like prompting them to say this
2: yeah i was curious if he actually had had some kind of experience but it has just been so blown up by his father and the publishing company that he maybe wanted to recount kind of the embellished story because it seems it seems like it probably came from somewhere right i don't know
1: well, and if you had any death experiences, I mean, there are like symptoms and things that people see, and it's it's consistent. I mean, we'll talk about this next week, but like it's relatively consistent across the different cases. And so it's, he probably did see something like tunnelled light, or you know, feeling this this like like he's out of body and and moving to heaven or whatever. And I'd be curious to know like what his like exactly what he saw. Versus, like, the story that was told. Because I'm guessing you could probably pretty easily pick apart maybe where the embellishments were if I, if you were to go back and, like, reread it.
0: And I think we'll, we'll probably get more into this when we talk about this next time. But I want to briefly touch on that. Near-death experiences are not, are are nothing new at all. I mean, Swedenborg, near-death experiences. Saints everywhere. Everyone who's, like, a lot of mystics, near-death experiences everywhere. Mysticism and near-death experiences are- have been heavily linked together. And this is where I will actually talk about the man called Air. Plato's Republic, he tells the story of a man called Air, returned to life after being dead for 12 days and recounted the secrets of the afterlife. And he saw place of judgment where the souls are judged. And he also saw people choosing new lives, both human and animal. He saw, this is interesting, he saw the soul of Orpheus changing into a swan. Thamaris becoming a nightingale, and musical birds choosing to become men. Yeah, so it's interesting that, yeah, he basically, it it reminds me a lot of what Swedenborg said he saw in his near-death experience. This just, like, kind of, like, seeing all of these, like, goings-on and and happening.
2: I'm also curious, you just just reminded me of this. If you believe in reincarnation, how does necromancy work? Is there just, like, a soul, like, flapping around somewhere? Or are you... (laughs) Are you summoning them out of another body, or I don't know. Like I, it's just kind of interesting to think about the practicalities of that because if, if the idea is that you are summoning a spirit back from somewhere, then surely they can't be reincarnated into a new body yet. Or do you have? I think I've even seen somewhere, but I would need to look it up. That I've seen somewhere that you have a limited period after someone dies before they are reincarnated into a new body. Which is an interesting thought?
0: That is the case in in like a, a, a lot of various. Folklore it's like I know in Japan before a spirit reaches its afterlife, there is a, a certain period of days, which is where like there's like a lot of house altars when someone dies where you like have to basically appease them until they go on their way. In terms of for the ancient Greeks, at least necromancy, that's why burial rites were important, that you, your soul would be trapped if you didn't have any sort of burial rites. And so most necromancy, if not all necromancy, was done with these restless spirits who were then in the retinue of Hecate. And which is interesting, the Hellenistic Age, Hecate, Hecate Soterra, becomes this almost salvation-like figure, where if she's appeased to on the behalf of someone who did not get burial rights properly, that she would then bring them to their final resting place and have them sort of re-enter this either reincarnation pool or enter the afterlife properly. There's also the idea of multiple souls. That's a concept found in the Homeric age of people having sort of multiple souls that are a part of them, which is seen again with Freud and Jung kind of with the ego, super ego, the id, all of that are, are kind of this play on the tripartite soul, multiple souls. And some of them move somewhere else. And only one contains like you as a person. One is just all of your needs so there's a lot of ideas of like like how how ghosts and how necromancy work if, if reincarnation is true. I mean that's my my own personal belief is that like there are restless spirits. But yeah,
1: that's something that Aaron Leach talks about in his book, A uh, Secret of the Magical Grimoires that came out I think it was two years ago, a year ago or so. And he mentions the fact that when it's, when somebody dies and the spirit is about to pass on, there's a period. I think he says it's about two weeks where the spirit will linger at the area of their death. And it's at that time that the families would like make offerings and stuff to their dead ancestor. And that would be a time which you could still reach out and like have that kind of contact. What it doesn't explain though, is the people who call upon like, you know, spirits that have been dead for, for years. I mean, people calling on like Aristotle and even Plato and, you know, Albert Einstein or old mages and magicians who have had like incredible influences on Western occultism, like Agrippa for instance. And so, yeah, how does that work? I don't know. I, i'm kind of of the opinion that it's more of like an egregore based thing than it is like an actual spirit yeah Um, i'm the same way yeah yeah i don't really think that they're called they're like really calling back the spirit of this person Um, it's more of just like the egregore of their knowledge and their lasting impact kind of on on the community as a whole but what do you think
0: yeah i mean i think like that are like heroes in a way and they become heroized so they become sort of deified in this way and that they're like kind of both are and are not this person anymore
2: i'm just having a lot of thoughts about how to summon a living person right now because this is the natural consequence of this discussion right like if, if somebody's soul isn't in a living person because i think next episode we're going to talk about um the parallels be- between near death experiences and transcendental meditation could it be that when somebody is less tethered to their body like in a meditation state? Could we summon them? Maybe we'll discuss that next week.
0: One way to find out. <laughs> <laughs> test next, this next one. week on test tubes and cauldrons. <laughs> <laughs> also,
2: please tell us if you've nearly died and if it was an interesting experience. Um, oh i
0: i actually have a vague near-death experience um but i can share i'll 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 share that in the next in the next episode look at (laughs) all
1: of these incentives to come back and listen we're gonna do like a live summoning ritual when one of us is in a meditative trance tell gonna tell us about her near-death experience we've got so much to look forward to
0: (laughs) i guess to close this out do we want to just say like i don't know our own personal final thoughts on on reincarnation
1: and everything. Yeah. Final thoughts. I think reincarnation is a thing. Um, I do think it's a very like valuable framework to to believe in and think about. Um, then this nature of of you know death and rebirth. But I don't think that past life regression is something that is worthwhile. I also don't really necessarily think that the clarity in which a lot of people present their past lives is accurate, and there probably is, at least in my opinion, a scientific basis for for why this occurs the way it does um, probably something related to the methodology, which is hypnosis, which I will be looking into because I'm curious. Um, yeah. So I think it's, I do think reincarnation is a thing. No, I don't think past life regression is really a thing or worthwhile or important um, because what matters is the current life that you are in um, and the kind of effect you can have on the, your community and the world now, not like, you know, that you did how many years ago, but yeah, I'm looking forward to to doing a, proper summoning ritual next
0: week too reincarnation is my preferred model of afterlife it just is what makes sense to me but i also agree in terms of past life regression like i like i say a lot i believe in strange occurrences but i don't believe they're necessarily repeatable i do believe perhaps there's merit to children remembering crazy things at like very young ages perhaps there is some merit to that but i don't think it's investigatable i don't think it's you know it's not provable and i also don't think proving it's a worthwhile pursuit i like i don't think that like yeah as someone who used to do past life regression i don't think it's worth it i don't know you might find little bits and be like i wonder if this was a part of me at some point yeah i think what matters is what you're doing now um yeah
2: i definitely went into this episode with more skepticism and kind of came out of it with a slightly more open mind I'm not sure that I believe in past life aggression, but having read a little bit more about near-death experiences, which you will hear about next week, um, I'm definitely more open to the idea of what these experiences might represent and um, them having some kind of spiritual basis. But uh, yeah, you'll have to tune in to our next episode to hear about
1: that. All right. Well, we are going to wrap it up since we are at time. Thank you so much for listening. Um, We always appreciate that you tune in and listen to what we have to say. Again, next week, we're going to be talking about near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences, probably from a more kind of scientific point of view, because there's lots of different theories as to how all that works. But if you aren't already, go ahead and follow us on Discord. We have a wonderful community full of like-minded individuals who are just fantastic all-around humans, and we do lots of fun stuff there. Um, and also check us out on Instagram if you aren't already because we do post things on there as updates kind of for the newest episodes coming out. And if you have questions and you aren't in Discord and can't get a hold of us that way, which you usually can because we're always on there, you can send us a message through Instagram as well. Also, just a quick note in terms of podcast changes moving forward. Life is busy and things have happened. <laughs> and We're just all at a point in our lives where things are getting kind of hectic. And so we are going to be moving to a two week um, or what is that bi-monthly bi-monthly release schedule so we're going to be recording every two weeks and then releasing it so just keep that in mind moving forward we're not going to be able to keep up weekly like we have been but you'll still hear from us we're not disappearing I don't think we intend to go anywhere anytime soon so we will see you in two weeks bye everybody